building a restaurant right now that was supposed to be open now. It'll probably open in November. Very trying to do, and you as someone from from overseas may appreciate even more than New Yorkers. I'm very friendly with a, a guy, Indian American guy, who was born in Texas, and his dream has always been to sort of do the Indochine or the Nobu of Indian food. Is he our $10 million guy or? No, I wish. <laughs> but we just are check do, it. We're doing a place on 20th <laughs> Street next to, next to Gramercy Tavern. Right. Um, Great location. Oh, it's an insane location. And we're moving forward with it because after three months, the landlord finally came around because the first at first they're like, no, 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 we're not giving any yeah. rent concession. And, and now like, they're like, we'll just give you rent free. And we were like, well, then we're not building it. And we were lucky that, you know, we were all, you know, there's a degree of pregnancy that, you know, so like had we been 50% built, they would have held all that. But we hadn't really started the construction. And we said, look, if we walk away from your 4,000 square foot unbuilt space, you're toast. Who's taking it? Yeah, like, well, there's that, a lot more of there's a lot more of us and a lot sorry a lot more of them and a lot less of us. Right. And, and I said sign. I said anyone anyone who's looking actually first of all I, don't, I told them I said I don't know anyone looking for a new restaurant space. Right. But if they are, they're going to go find a place that was finished three months ago right. and went out the, of business. They're not taking your blank slate. Can't wait for my next guest, David Rabin, an icon of the New York club and bar world. In the 1990s, David was one of the founders of the famous Rex Double Seven Lotus Clubs and later on V-Bar, Union Bar and many more, just to name a few. Currently, he has the Lambs Club, Cafe Clover, American Bar, The Skylark, and Jimmy's on the Roof, the Soho James Hotel. He's also an advisor for the Dorsey in Las Vegas. He has a few little projects that he's going to talk about today because he's still building his little empire. He's also opened a gig in Moscow. This guy grew up in the late 70s, 80s, and 90s. Think Studio 54 and Ian Schrager's Palladium Club and many more. He's known as an innovator of the entertainment industry, an icon of the club and bar world, and an all-round good guy. Page Six calls him the club guru. Market Watch calls him the New York nightlife pioneer. He creates community-based programs to embrace and better understand the future of hospitality and probably one of the dudes that helped the meatpacking district become what it is today. An ex-lawyer who walked away from his craft to create a new one, a career and his dream. All right, mate. Uh, David, welcome to the show. How Thank you doing? You. Nice to see you. Robert. Nice to have you back in the room. Uh, we got our masks off, so we're, we're socially distanced. I think we're about six feet away. You've got a pretty fascinating life. Like I've been digging around trying to find some dirt on you. Like, I couldn't <laughs> find sure anything. I couldn't find anything. I actually couldn't. I actually have amazing comments from lots of amazing people. So your career started out in Wall Street as a lawyer, right? Well, my partner was on Wall Street. I was Park Avenue, but right, one and the same. Yeah, he was a derivatives trader, and I was a lawyer, literally Park Avenue. And what happened? What, what, what year are we talking about? Are we talking early 80s? Uh, well, I joined a firm in 87, and about 89, 90 was when Will and I, uh, uh, Will was a close friend of mine from college, we went to Tufts together, and uh, he, un I uh, unbelievably was representing one music, uh, yeah. one singer named Albie Shore, mm -hmm. and um, just at the moment that he was sort of blowing up as a one-hit wonder, and I was getting invited to all these incredible parties that I was like, how am I at this party? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, and I kept running into Will, who basically the handsomest guy in New York and was living at the time with Iman for mm -hmm. five years before she married David Bowie. Wow. Um, and so their circle of friends was insane. Of course. And, you know, we would go to these parties and you literally the most famous people in the world were like all around us and just chatting them up like it was, you know, you and I chatting. Sure. And uh, one night over a little too much tequila at Nell's, you know, we sort of said, I hate my fucking job. And he's like, I hate my fucking job. And we sort of laughed and said, we could do this. And we called each other the next day. Like, I know we were drunk, but were you serious? Because I was kind of serious. It's like you could do a club. Yeah. 
We looked around the room. We were at Nell's. Um, yeah. We must have known 80% of the people. And Nell's at that moment was the, the, the shit. shit. And, <laughs> you know, there was MK and there was a great little place, which I don't know if people have mentioned to you over time, called Peggy Sue's, which was yep. kind of thrown together by uh, this model and a fireman who was also a model. Sounds great guys. Like an absolute disaster it in was, the making. Uh, <laughs> it was the greatest. It was like, you know, the bathrooms were covered in old Playboy centerfolds. It was, yep. They basically spit and glue, but an amazing crowd. And we're like, look, we know everyone at all these venues, and what's the worst thing will happen is you'll go back to Wall Street, and I'll go back to being a boring lawyer. And um, you know, we did Rex, which happened to open just not by plan, but at the exact sort of zeitgeist moment of that supermodel era, that Linda, Cindy, Naomi, Christie yep, thing, yep. and the George Michael video, the Freedom. That was thing. your first gig, right, Rex? That was our first what, what gig. What year was that? 1990. So for people who are in 1990 and your first club gig, you're a lawyer. Yeah, and we opened a restaurant on the first floor with a nightclub and, and live music. And the good news was everyone in the world showed up. The bad news was what we hadn't figured out was quite how to deal with the fact that when you went to Palladium or, or one of the big clubs, yep. even if they comped 500 people at the door, 3,000 people paid. Okay, so like we're talking Ian Schrager's Palladium, right? Right, so like 90s. mid 80s was the height of it. And you know it had this uh, Keith Haring room yep. that, was, um, that was a small private room and then a giant club. And so when we opened Rex, we had the very best of these small crowd, but we had nowhere to charge the excess people. So, and it was before bottle service. So we would have this room full of 300 amazing people having a great time. The waitresses couldn't get to the tables. Uh, no one paid at the door because they were all somebody. Yeah. So we ended up making no money, but we got put on the map. And that was what led to the insanity of going to Moscow. Because the thing is, that was the after the debacle of 54 and its closure. And there's a documentary with Schrager out. I'm sure you've seen mm -hmm. it. And the whole story. And it's actually kind of fascinating for people that didn't live in New York City to understand how the whole club genre kind of changed after 54, right? And I, then think, I think Keith McNally really deserves a lot of credit because Nels was, you know, at that time all the big clubs were, you know, if you didn't know anyone, you could get online and pay $30 to get in or whatever. And, sure. Uh, and then, of course, there were private rooms for the really, the insider folks. And then Keith opened Nels and was kind of like um, five bucks for everybody. Yeah. And actually, famously, Eddie Murphy, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, but it would put nails on the map in some extent was Eddie Murphy rolled up and of course you know it's 500 people online and they lift the rope from and they're like five dollars and he's like what the fuck I'm Eddie Murphy and they're like well <laughs> yeah. everyone else has five dollars so you should have five dollars <laughs> and uh, he didn't come in and it kind joking of, no so I pissed him off the other club that I don't know if people have mentioned to you that was really a game changer was area which yep. was Serge Becker yep. and Eric Good. They're just friggin' geniuses. And these are big venues, right? They weren't they were like, huge. Like yeah. now we don't see that. Well, we see some of that now. More in Brooklyn. Yeah. Pre-COVID, even the last generation of clubs outside probably Tau and a, a bunch of big ones, they're not as large anymore, they're right? They're not. Real estate doesn't allow for it. Uh, community boards don't allow for it. Right. And uh, I think the largest ones are these sort of warehouse venues in Brooklyn. Right. Um, but yeah, the days of those sort of, I mean, Palladium's now a dorm. I don't, I don't think you and I are cool enough to go to Brooklyn. Uh, I'm definitely not cool enough to go to Brooklyn. When we're Bushwick, no. we might look homeless. <laughs> so, so hey, look, I got I got somebody that I want to – I'm going to read something out to you. You're going to go and guess who this is. I think it'll be pretty easy at the end. So this dude uh, uh, I've been friends with for a while, and we live together on an island so that shouldn't give it away too much. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've had some fun with him. Um he said, you know, he David was the kind of moral compass we all wanted. We always hoped he would run for office for New York City mayor. 
don't know what that's about. David was always on the community board associations, founded the Meatpacking Association, Nightlife Association, and this will give it away. And Jay and I were always drunk and partied, and he was the responsible <laughs> one. Do you know who said that? It has to be my friend uh, Mark Baker. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sends his regards. He's sitting in Bali. Yeah. I remember he opened, uh, he came straight out of New York, uh, 2013 open townhouse in Bali. Yeah. He's responsible for my liver being the size it is. I remember partying there quite a lot. Um, so and, and that way he was supposed to be healthy over there and be doing organic. Well, now he's juices. got a juice bar. Yeah, yeah. He just, but I always say to him, like, dude, just because you're wearing a sarong doesn't make you healthy. But he <laughs> he kind of said to me, you know, like you were the founding vision of Double Seven, right? Yeah, I mean, basically what happened was we it was almost a Godfather Three moment. It's a little to backtrack a little bit. We Will and I came back from Russia and did a place called Union Bar. And we were sort of happily not doing nightclubs. What were you doing in Russia? Let's backtrack for a second. I want to get to that. Okay. What, what happened in Russia? Because you opened something. Oh, we, yeah. We did basically open the Studio 54 in Moscow mm-hmm. with actually the designers of Studio 54. Wow. Um, we thought we were working for an import-export bank, which they did indeed own. Sure. Um, but about six months into the process, we found out we were working for basically the head of the mafia for southern Moscow. Excellent. Good for choice. Moscow Good choice. and southern. <laughs> actually turned out to be, after one or two terrifying moments, um, it turned out to be a great choice because... We had not really understood why we were in sort of this protected bubble. Yeah. And all of a sudden it became clear that basically Kaiser Sose had, you know, bubbled us up and said, don't fuck with these guys. Um, But we went there very naively because, you know, if you think back, uh, and again, people may be too young, 1992, 93, the press about Russia was they want to be democratic. They want to be capitalist. They want Americans' help. There was no stories about Russian mafia. That started coming out a little bit later. So we went over there. We're like, oh, my God, we're in the middle, literally in the, I don't know if you've been there, but the middle of Red Square. Amazing. The the best location on the planet. I could throw a baseball into the Kremlin had I wanted to. And um, they really listened to us. uh, And, you know, we did stuff that, you know, is the old playbook in the, for us. How old are you? 31. And so you're in Russia, yeah. opening like a kind of a post-54 with the designers. Yes. What was the name of it? It was That was the only thing they didn't listen to us about, and they were right. They wanted to call it Manhattan Express, yeah. which to me sort of was like, Manhattan Express. Sounds but like they were like, train ride. they're like, it can't be subtle. We have to hit people over the head. They've never heard, you know, this has to feel like New York. And yeah. they were right. It was, you know, up until then, clubs in Moscow were all like converted gymnasiums at colleges that sure, they, hung sure. up, they hung up giant lights and a right. couple of speakers. Right. We These guys really spent money. They hired great designers. They hired us to run it. They let us go to all the modeling agencies and make all the girls members, yep. you know, stuff that you would do here. And plus our staff was, that was the sort of the, the, the key was, you know, an average Russian at that time was making about 60 bucks, 70 bucks a month. Yeah, wow. And so we went to these girls at the agencies and said, we'll pay you $30 a night to be a hostess. Jesus. And, you know, they were making more <laughs> than their dads. You destroyed a lot of modeling careers. <laughs> well, <laughs> they were making more than their dads overnight right. and supporting their families. And so they were so grateful. Um, and so we had this, like, lineup of g- gorgeous Were you in, like, a little bit of a fantasy land in your head to feel dreamlike? It did. I mean, it it, it was so exciting. It yep. felt like, look, I was a poli-sci major. So to mm-hmm. be in the middle of the evil, evil empire yep. and ho- hoping thinking naively that we were helping change it yeah. Um, yeah. was sort of exciting. And we thought it was going to open this world to us of people coming to us and saying, well, we want to do something in Germany or China or sure, Japan. Sure. Um, didn't end up exactly that way, but it did end up, it, ironically, Union Bar came out of that because it was some Russian people that we met who said, we need help with our bagel shop. We're like, 
we don't know much about bagels, but this would be a great bar. <laughs> it's right down the block from here, yeah. Park Avenue. I remember you the next time I think of bagels. I was like, this could make a great club. So how long did how long were you there for? We had a two-year consulting agreement uh, that stretched to about two and a half through construction. And at the end of it, we they they had hired our Russian replacement. Yeah. And, I, and by then, I had become quite friendly with these guys. And I was like, this is not the guy. And I... And, uh, <laughs> They were like, six they, months, they, this is a guy. No, six months later, they brought us back. I had a gentleman's bet with them. And by then, they had kind of really allowed the place to be trashed. It was filled with, like, everything we didn't let in. Low-level gangsters. Yeah. A lot of how did you, how did you? But, I mean, like, you know, it's kind of interesting because, I, obviously, I lived in Bali for a while. And I watched, you know, a, not that happen. But over the last 20 years, it's changed a lot. How did you stop those people coming in? Is because you were protected and they knew not yeah, to mess with you guys? Well, that and, you know, yes. I mean, that's what we really, I mean, look, we had the obvious thing. We had lots of guys with, look, we had a gun check. You know, yeah. in America, I would never, if a place had a gun check, I'm like going the other direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In Moscow, if you didn't have a gun check, I wasn't going in. Yeah. Um, so we'd have all these gorgeous, gorgeous girls come out with little, you know, Chanel bags and check their little two-shooter <laughs> in, a ch- in a safe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it is incredible. So... Um, we were very well protected, but they did let us curate. Um, you know, the the idea was, you know, just like how New York used to be before everyone had well, black card became the new VIP, sure. as Steve Lewis says. Um, back then, you know, they let us pick, go with the artists, the models, the rock, the rock stars, and make them. And then everyone else, of course, wants to be around. That. Did you ever get it wrong? Like you got somebody out the front, and they're like, "No, nah, we're not letting him in." And then somebody goes, "You kind of need to let him in." Well, it is a good story. Um, <laughs> I was out there trying to teach this great doorman, this great-looking doorman, who was a little thick, but he was a beautiful guy, who I wanted him to pick out of literally, it was one of those scenes of 400 people in yeah, a semicircle. Yeah, yeah. And as he's doing it, as I'm like saying, that girl back there, and that, uh, a guy in the front keeps lifting. Now, granted, there's two guys behind me with machine guns, so yeah. I'm not that unsafe. Yeah. But this guy keeps lifting the rope, and I don't even really look him in the eye. I just keep taking it out of his hand and putting it down. He's going to try and let himself in. Yeah. And under my breath to myself, it's like the third time I say to myself, who the fuck does this guy I think he is? And he goes, I am your fucking problem. <laughs> like, like Arnold, yeah, yeah. like straight out of the fucking oh, Terminator. Shit. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. But I turned around and, you know, one of these giant guys stepped forward. But that was the closest it came at the door. Other things came closer, but that was that was my moment of like, oh, I'm not in New York anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and there was not there were no cell phones around, mm. like so no one could call you and go, you need to let Igor in. He's, oh, he's he owns half the club. We were, I just forgot to tell we, you that we were on our own. Yeah, yeah. We so there wasn't there wasn't some. I'm sure it was a shady area, but it was it fun. It was beyond fun. And you lived there as well. What was yeah. the lifestyle outside the club scene for you, uh, apart from sleep? Uh, you know, we lived in the hotel in which the club was, mm-hmm. and you know the. My normal life was a little, you know, I'd go running and no one in Moscow ran back then. All I did was drink and smoke. So they'd yeah. look at me like I was from friggin' Mars and, you know, yeah. in my running clothes. Must be an American. <laughs> yeah. Um, but our life was good. Aside from not that many choices to eat, we had a, we had a, a restaurant in the building. So right. we didn't leave the building all that much. Plus right. Moscow, as you know, is f- cold as fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. Except for four months a year. Yeah. But you know what? The, the There was kind of a division between people who were really excited about us being there and really wanted to work with us and learn from us. And then an old school, almost Putin-esque, like, the fuck do we need the Americans for? We're we're Mother Russia. Yeah. Uh, But the the regular folks that we work with, the people that worked for us, they were fantastic. They were excited. They wanted to learn. They taught us shit. I never felt more uh, unsophisticated in my life, actually. Our translators were these women in their 40s. um, And we get in the car, and they'd be playing classical music. And they not only knew... 
who the composer was. They knew which quartet it was, and, yeah. and, or and they knew they knew which conductor it was. And I'm like, how do you know this stuff? Yeah. They were just fascinating people who had real educations, and I felt incredibly inadequate. Actually. Did you end up having some friendships after that when you came back to the U.S.? Oh, sure. I mean, I stayed in touch with a lot of them. I mean, it would be so much easier now with every different social media sure, advice. Sure. But you know, I'm, I'm on Facebook with four or five of them, and yep. you know, I text a couple of them for their birthdays and stuff. That's uh, nice. Yeah. Have you been back? I have not been back since 96. I'm wow. dying to go back. I went 2005. Love Moscow. to see it. Froze my balls off. I love Moscow. Double seven, the first place, other than milk and honey, tell me if I'm wrong, right. Mark gave me this at a lowdown. And I actually did, you know, look, I actually did a bit of research on it. Other than milk and honey, um, double seven was the first place you got the legend Sasha Petrovsky yes. to do crafted cocktails. And you kind of put it on the map, right? Well, so I had this. Epiphany, um, you know, we had Lotus, which was at the moment, it was the Studio 50 or or, or Palladium of that moment, 2000 era, mm-hmm. you know, the big, big club that put, you know, we sort of put the meatpacking district, you mentioned it earlier, you know, along with Pastis and a store called Jeffrey's, we were sort of the first big arrivals in the meatpacking district. And a few years into it, um, I f- went, finally went to Milk and Honey, which I had heard about yep. a million times and was just completely blown away i'd never had a drink like that in my life you know i was a vodka soda guy yeah yeah, you know? yeah. most of the world was at that right. point crafted cocktails weren't a thing so if you're listening to this and you're like 30 you're like oh my god my life without a you know right. whatever a but moscow yeah, mule yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. a gold rush so i go to this place finally it only has 22 seats right uh and i'm literally and i don't drink that much i was i just had like eight drinks i, know, I, I, I never drunk. i never had i never had drinks like that in my life yeah um and so I, I went back to my partners and I said, if we could take our crowd, which is, you know, at the moment, at that moment was sort of, but they've been at the Lotus now 400 times. They're like, okay, what's next? Yep. Um, if we could give them this level of cocktail in a small, beautiful, intimate room. And I had happened upon a designer in LA named Dodd Mitchell who had done four restaurants that I thought were great and sexy and beautiful and sort of lush. Uh, and a space became vacant across the street from Lotus. and. We, you know, all that, it was just one of those zeitgeist moments. Unfortunately, it was too much of a zeitgeist moment because 18 months into it, Apple came to the neighborhood and then Hugo Boss, our rent was 60 bucks a square foot. Apple signed at like 285 and Hugo Boss signed at 525. What, what, what year are we now? 2006. Yeah, right. So our landlord uh, forced us out and sold the building um, at our, like, literally like we were like this. Like but tell, tell us about Sasha when, and who he was. Uh, and, yeah, Sasha and, you know, he's passed legend, away right, and, yeah. and who he was for the younger generation. Well, Sasha was, you know, he really was a creation out of the 30s or 40s. I mean, he even dressed that way. You know, mm-hmm. he wore page boy caps and he wore suspenders. And, and he, he just returned New York to this era of uh, pre-prohibition cocktails. Um, uh, he brought back all the legendary cocktails. He did it. His place was run so tight milk and honey yeah there were rules there about men not speaking to women unless they were asked and you know people thought it was goofy but it really really worked and he was you know we were so grateful that he agreed to do the cocktail program at double seven we're kind of shocked because he was so in his lane but i think he really believed that we believed in his vision and we really turned the cocktail program over to him Uh, he also did the cocktail program at lambs club when we opened lambs do you think he was like the I mean, I, you know, everybody wants to be the pioneer. You're a pioneer in just districts, um, you know, understanding districts. But do you think he was the crafted cocktails? Oh, I had a ton of bars and you have too. Right. Do you think he was kind of like the pioneer of For crafted me, cocktails? For me, I think so. I mean, the people people also w- would say Dale DeGroff. Yes. Um, and, and can you tell a little bit about him? Just another sort of legendary guy, but... For, for me, 
Sasha connected with our crowd just so so perfectly, um, and he worked so well collaboratively with our team. Sure. Um, so I would say he's sort of one of two or three people that is the reason that you go and now everywhere you go has a big big chunk of rock. Yeah. And has you know fresh pressed juice, yeah. and I really do think Sasha and maybe two two other people are the reason for that. And I love that you you know it was nice of Mark to bring it up that because Double Seven is actually even though it only lasted a year and a half, um, it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of because it really was sort of my executive producing role. I was like, well, sure. if we take that and that and that and that, I think we're going to have a hit. And yeah, wow. It, do you think those two boys, if they saw the cocktail programs now, they'd be horrified? Do you think Sasha would be horrified if he saw what's going on now? Uh, or would he be pl pleasantly surprised? I think he'd be pleasantly surprised, but keeping it pure. I mean, I work now with in Vegas and on a couple of upcoming projects with the guys who bought uh, Milk and Honey from him mm -hmm. and turned it into Attaboy, uh, Sam and Mickey. And uh, they're very much keeping up his legacy yep. at Attaboy. But Sam will he'll bend traditional a little bit in a very, very sort of creative way. He's done amazing work for us in Vegas. Mm -hmm. And um, we're going to do some stuff in New York, assuming that the, the, the pandemic ever abates. We'll get to that. The yeah. double, so double seven. Uh -huh. Ironically, I, I actually built a few places in double six hotel mm. in Bali, right? Mm. And that was a famous club. I'm guessing he just, he's, an in, he's the wealthiest man in Bali. He probably just came to double seven and went, I can do double six. Oh, that's funny. You know. The name, it really just came about because... Um, we were there's a place in Vegas that I love the name called the Double Down. Yeah. And um, and then we were on 14th Street and two times seven is 14. So we were like, and it just it just sounded sense. old school. Double seven seven. So so uh, a lot of well known people went through the, the the you know it wasn't a long life of Double Seven, right. but a lot of people know about it and everybody I've spoken to brings it up. Oh, it's funny. That's right. nice. And so, like, it was, it, was it the hit that you wanted it to be when it started picked up, or did it take some time? Or? No, it sort of, you know, that was the funny thing. I mean, Lo, you know, it, was, it was actually a problem in a way because Lotus held six, 700 people. Yeah. And I mean, you know, name the person, you know, who hasn't from been there. Benicio yeah. del yeah. Toro and yeah. Bono and De Niro and mm -hmm. Tom Cruise, you know, go down the list. And and then then all of a sudden, literally 50 feet across the street, we opened a place and only it's 80 people. Yeah. So a lot of people were not so happy with us. Because yeah, of course, because then you wanted to know you could fill it with you know, a bespoke. And it was a very bespoke crowd. Yeah. And um, uh, it was difficult some nights. And we'd say, well, if you hang at Lotus for an hour, we'll come gra grab you. And in a lot of cases, we were able to do that. But we had an amazing door guy named Damien who went on to work at Rose Bar and run Rose Bar after Nur. And then he opened his own place called Et Al. And he was sort of the... Um, the most amazing gatekeeper because he was able to sort of dissuade people and let them keep their dignity, which I think is one of the hardest. Of course, because I was just thinking that in my mind when you were talking about who was coming there and who wasn't. And I had the, the Icebergs restaurant famous in Sydney. And I remember mm -hmm. um, for a decade there, this, it became a kind of a celebrity thing by default. We didn't mm -hmm. go, you don't go aiming for that stuff. And if it happens, you of course embrace it because press is press. Right. But I've got some people that used to hang out at Lotus um, and I was going to ask you about when Lotus took off and okay. everybody was there. So, so Mark, tell I, I've got a picture which you can't see on the camera, which you can post online. I got a picture that I got, and I can see. <laughs> I'm going to turn it to you. You can have. Oh, the Clintons, hey. yeah. So I got a picture oh, of you, funny. Mark Baker, Mark Baker with long hair. He's yeah. still trying to grow it back. Hillary and Bill and, and some wife. and your wife. wife yeah. And and Mark says, you know, you guys hung out in the hallway a little bit. Um, a lot of people kept coming and whispering in Bill's ear. I mean, were they hanging out in the club? It was a, um, it was a, an event for the guy who was running for governor at the time, 
and in New York, and they came to support. And uh, the funny thing is, she was a sitting senator at the time. He right. was, you know, out of office mm-hmm. already. But I, she was sitting by herself in the back room, and he, you know, everyone was like a moth to a flame around Bill. And there was Hillary sitting. I went and sat and chatted with her. She was lovely. And ironically, now she comes to Lambs Club fairly often. Yep. Um, so, but the, it was sort of befuddling to me the first time that I walked by the table. She's like, "Hey, David, how you doing today?" I did, you know, kind of want to triple take, like. Did Hillary Clinton just call me by name? <laughs> um, so last night uh, I was listening to a podcast or an IGTV that mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine, Damon, does, Legendary Damon, who's sort yep, of a New I've York seen you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I listened to your podcast with him, actually. Oh, you did? Super and, fun. And he's great. And he had on Misty Copeland last night, mm-hmm. and um, who's also a great friend. And she met her husband at Lotus on a Sunday night, which wow. is one of my favorite wow. stories. And then they, they ended up having their engagement party at Jimmy and their wedding party at the Skylark. So I've... But, I saw her at Equinox in probably 2004 or five, and I said, hey, you know, you should really come down to Lotus on, a, on one night, you'd love it. And she's like, I go to Lotus every Sunday. What are you talking about? <laughs> See, like, you know, your bad. personality is probably the best described talking to all your friends and partners is the most public private person. Because even when I dug around, you know, some history and I talked to a bunch of people, everybody consistently said the same thing. Um, they all think you're a genuine human being and they thought you were great, but you also weren't overtly in everybody's face when you were running these gigs. You were like the, the dude. And, you know, you could have t- exploited that a little bit more. You know, there's plenty mm-hmm. of club people out there that basically think they invented the universe. <laughs> but you actually did create and pioneer a bunch of these clubs. Have you always been kind of, are you an extrovert introvert or? Well, it's funny. Um, it's hard enough to get you to come downtown for fucking drink. Uh, I mean, just, who knows getting you out to a club? It's funny because, I, I, you know, I've been married through this whole thing. But, right. you know, each, each, you know, back, if you look back in college, you know, you might have called me a... Um, you know, uh, a uh, an alpha. You know, I was a, you know, did very well in school, and I was on the lacrosse team and all this sure, stuff. Sure. But each partner I've had, you know, a lot of it's been strategic. I mean, certainly I knew a ton of people when we did Rex, but Will was literally like the Bachelor of New York. Yeah. So it would be foolish of me to try and like supplant this yep. guy. So I was like, cool. You know, my friends will come, but you know, if Will's the draw, Will's the draw. Sure. Similarly, when we did Lotus, um, Will and I had what I would call residual juice. You know, we yep. were only six or seven years past Rex. Um, but we had been in Russia, we had done Union Bar, and we kind of got grabbed back in to do Lotus. And I said to Will, you know, if we're going to do this, we really need younger partners who are really in the front of it right now. You need a couple of racehorses because and, yeah, you get that, up every, they got to get up and do it and, and it was stay Jeff, there right. till three. Yeah, it right. was Jeffrey and Mark. Yep. You know, and our first meeting with, with Mark and Jeffrey was at Union Bar. We had a, it was on Park Avenue South, and uh, we had a big picture window that was actually open to the street, and it was about seven feet off the ground. And in the middle of the meeting, Mark, as since you know him so well, yeah. you can well imagine, he just in mid sentence jumps up, jumps out the window <laughs> onto Park <laughs> yeah, Avenue yeah. South no, to chase a girl. I can't believe it. To chase a girl on no, a bike named Greta yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. He still does that in Bali, I'm sure. Oh my God! He'll, he'll, and I looked at Will. I'm like, Oh my God! We're going now to, he does it on a scooter. I'm like, We're going to business with yeah, these guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so a couple of favorite bars from the 80s and 90s. Am I right to say one of them was Palladium? I had a great I had a great time in Palladium because I, although my gray hair now would 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 not speak to it. I, you know, I used to just love to go dancing, and I had a couple of guys that we would just go. Da- we didn't give a shit. Like one of them is Bobito Garcia, who's a big right. DJ now, and a guy named Brenton. And we really weren't like if we met girls, great. But really, we just loved music and we loved dancing. Well, but we speaking just- of dancing, I'm going to mm-hmm. come back to this question. Okay. So she says he's probably the best employer 
I'm not making this up, employer, dancer and human that this person knows and has funk in his trunk. And I said to her, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> oh. And she said, oh, oh I mean, because she actually said funk in his junk at the beginning and then she spell checked it. And I said, what does that mean? And she meant trunk. And she said, no, he's actually a really, really good dancer. Oh, that's funny. It's actually, uh, again, it's something that I almost never do in front of um, the staff. Yep. But that was a lot of the reason that we got into the business was because I went to clubs not, you know, of course, I was when I started, I was single and bored as a lawyer and going yeah. out. But really, I just loved to dance, and I was yeah. pretty good at it. And I would go out with this crew of three or four guys, and we, like I said, we just could have cared less. And so a lot I got of another was, picture of that. Oh, God. <laughs> a lot of it was at Rex. Was it? Yeah. So that Not person. Rex, I'm sorry. At Nell's. The downstairs dance floor of Nell's was just, uh, Stretch Armstrong talked about it the other night. I forget, but it, it was. It was just a dark place, and you could just go Dance. You get your groove on. Yeah. And it didn't matter if you were on your own or no with somebody. Or, no one gave a shit. Asia's a lot like that. I, even now, it doesn't matter. Boys, girls, they're mm -hmm. kind of like not trying to be cool. That's you trying to be cool. Oh, you know who? Yeah, that's Sue talked to me. So Susan's, Susan was living in Bali. She's a New Yorker. She's and she fantastic. Was, she think, she actually said she thinks you're one of the best humans that she's ever oh known God, and worked so with. Nice. And I was like, wow. Susan was a legendary girl for us at the cocktail server. She was, yep. the, the, because she was, you know, it's, it's a rare girl who's like beloved by the customers and the staff. She did that in Bali when they opened, her and Mark opened Townhouse. Yeah. It was like really ambitious. They did like a cafe art gallery on the first floor because that's what you do. And then they did three or two or three levels and then a rooftop smack bang in the middle of Bali and just blew it up. And they had a lot of fun. She's she's fantastic. You know, she was, she was such a pro. And it was sort of the thing. People would come in and if she wasn't there, they were like, Where's, you know, where's yeah. Susan? Where's Susan? You know, it was, a so, it was a gal named Monica who ran the platform, which was sort of our, our VIP area. And Susan was the server up there. And if they two of them weren't there, there was just something a little off, you know. And, and there was another bar, Mars. Tell me about Mars. Is that a favorite? Uh, was, Mars, was that a favorite? I heard that it might have been a favorite. I liked Mars just because Mars was, was the great Rudolph, who's, you know, a, a name that should not be uh, forgotten from New York Nightlife because he was behind... Um, so many clubs, including Danceteria. He's mostly now in Latin America, mm -hmm. uh, running clubs in Brazil and stuff. But Rudolph took this old warehouse meatpacking thing like all the way. You know, right now it's probably a billion dollar condo building, but sure. at the time it was it was it felt so outlaw. It was probably the West Side Highway and Tenth Street or something. Yeah. And no one lived anywhere near there. And the, the, literally the sound system was like one of those TV commercials. Where you walked in and like your, your whole body just yeah, yeah, shook yeah. from yeah. the music. That, that, that changes a venue when the sound, the programming Oof. is. Yeah. It was in your soul. And so yeah. people would just go there and dance. And they had a way before there were rooftops like Jimmy, they had just opened their rooftop and people would just go up and hang on the roof and no one cared because it was a deserted area. So yeah, Mars was a lot of fun. I would say for me, um, the most fun I had, though, was probably before we did our own places was Nell's. And, and I love Peggy Sue's because yeah. you would just literally go in jeans and a T-shirt and you'd know you were going to sweat yourself through your clothes. And, yep. and you, okay. And have a good time. Yeah. Just and no fun. one was texting you on your phone because you there were no one. phones. That's the <laughs> point. Awesome. I wish it was like that now. <laughs> so so I noticed there was a New York Times article post September 11th and it was a night out with you. Mm. And they basically went around town with you with a journalist. And that was kind of really interesting because they were post September 11th is it okay to have fun and yeah it was, was very it, weird time. it was a weird time right I was here about three months after um and the city was coming back to life but there was a weird energy um well it almost no, no one could really tell I mean I remember the first time I looked down from sort of the mezzanine in Lotus and saw people dancing and how sort of puzzled and pleasantly surprised I was because for a while 
restaurants were doing okay because people still had to eat. Sure. But the whole idea of doing anything celebratory just felt wrong. Yeah. I mean, when 3,000 people die in the morning. Um, and just, you know, if you weren't here at the time, I mean, the whole, for a while, this, the whole city smelled of smoke. Yeah, and, I remember. And the really crazy thing was, you know, I went to, I rode my bike to Lotus because the subways were all out and I just wanted to see what was going on. And then I rode my bike to St. Vincent's, which is, was uh, the hospital near Lotus at the time, to say, do you need any help with, like, ambulances? Or I didn't sure. know what to do. It was an, maybe two hours after it happened. And they're like, there's no survivors. Mm. And it was, you know, so you just ride. It was chilling, you know. So yeah. you, I just rode my bike back up the West Side Highway and probably saw 10,000 people, and I'm not exaggerating, waiting for uh, ferries to take them back to New Jersey because right. all roads were closed. All right. And it went on like, you know, and I remember not that much longer after, it had to be less than a year, New York had a really bad blackout. Yeah. And we all assumed. Terrorist attack. It was terrorist attack. And I, by that time, I had a, well, Tyler was born at, at September 11th, but um, I was home when when that happened. So I, knew, but when the blackout happened, I remember literally walking and running home three and a half miles as best I could in my dress clothes. Sure, because <laughs> I was just fucking panicked. It was gun shy, right? Like I mean, I remember the first time. I can't tell you if it was in the first year that I heard a jet engine fly over New York, and I was at I think I was on the Upper West Side, and everybody just looked up oh, and man. i was walking you know and at that point i was just like you know da 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 right. and everybody's looking up and i'm like oh somebody's doing something and they and i'm like what's and then i heard the roar and and it, and it was just a plane very right. high up it was paranoia, just paranoia right? right and so it's really fascinating that time um because obviously you still had a business right right and then the countries you know it's easy to look back and judge everything that happened but in that moment everybody was preparing to go to war which that was happening so it was a really weird time to go hey let's go out clubbing and dancing and drink with our friends no one no one was thinking that yeah and it actually you know and and i don't talk about it much because in the scheme of things you know it's a commercial loss versus tremendous life loss sure. of life but we were about to sign a lease to do lotus in vegas we would have been first of the New York clubs, you know, eventually Tao yeah. and these others. But we had a deal. We had a bar in Vegas at the time called V-Bar that was doing very well. And the Venetian wanted us to bring Lotus to Vegas. Wow. And we what literally, we were literally days away from signing. And then Vegas shut completely down for six months to a year. Yeah. And the dumbest thing I, well, I've done many dumb things, but, the you know, I watched Sheldon Adelson buy his own stock yeah. when it was down to a dollar. Of course. And I was like, I was too stupid to be like, well, if he's betting on himself, you know, I, obviously I don't have a billion dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could buy a couple of thousand dollars worth of stock. Yeah, it, would have been, it would have been a lot been, worth yeah. a lot. Yeah, I so, get it. Pretty yeah. dumb. But um, well, maybe because also that, you know, that inertia that was happening and you know, the, the time frame and, and the news that was coming out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it wasn't as graphic now as it is now. Mm -hmm. Sorry, then it wasn't as graphic. You're not getting bombarded from every angle. There wasn't, you know, social media bombardment. It, it, it was just a crazy day because I, you know, usually, as you would know, probably yourself too, but, you know, in those days, I wasn't waking up early, but we had a brand new baby and um, it was election day. Mm. It was primary day. And I had woken up uh, early and took my son in those, uh, one of those baby things to go vote and came back. It was maybe nine in the morning. I flipped on CNN and I'm like, oh shit! A private plane. My first thought was a private plane went off course. Yeah, we all thought what it was right. it a, like a little Cherokee or something right, flew into right. the building. And, and then like, I'm sitting there watching. And then the second one, and you know, it just utter. And so you know, I gave my wife the, the Tyler, the baby, and I jumped on a bike because I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know. And um, well, our prime minister. I was in Melbourne, and our prime minister of Australia was actually 
I think here on Washington and was grounded. Mm. Um, and I remember coming home. I actually remember walking. I was working in the restaurant that night. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't exactly remember what day it was, but where I was, it was like eleven o'clock at night. Mm. And I remember my my French Moroccan pastry chef, um, who had Arab descent, was up in my in the pastry kitchen, and we were giggling and we're like, "Let's have a beer." And he's like, listening to the news, and he just looks at me and he goes, "This is going to be bad." And I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, oh, okay, it was the radio, right? Was right, the... right. And so I, I got home and it was like unfolding. And I and I woke up, uh, sorry, got home, I woke up my partner at the time and we both sat there for, I think, seven straight hours because that was our only source of information, yeah. right? And so, you know, we're watching cable for that entire time and then watching the whole thing unfold. So wind forward before we get to this mm-hmm. COVID. So now we've got, you're a New Yorker, blood and sweat and tears. Mm. Long Islander? No. Yeah, an Long hour, Island. about 45 minutes from here. I grew right. Up. Okay. Right. And so um, we've got September 11th, mm. then Hurricane Sandy. Well, GFC. Before that, before Sandy was, uh, you know, the, the crash in 2007, eight, mm. and Madoff. Right. Um, so those. GFC is like seven, eight, nine, right. then Sandy, right. now COVID. We'll right. get to COVID. I don't want to turn too dark on the, this show because we've had a good time, but right. like this city bounces back. Like all, I think all cities bounce back. It's very seldom that cities that don't have, but this city particularly feels like even the energy is very different here. Mm-hmm. Being Australian and, and living in New York for a while, not as long as you, you know, I'm a big believer in New York and mm-hmm. I love community and so forth. There's a huge difference in all these crises. Yes. So like, you know, because in eight or seven or eight, we thought we're all going to run out of money and basically use, you know, gold as currency and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was putting things under their bed. Mm-hmm. Then Hurricane Sandy kind of, I never realized I'd moved recently down to Seaport kind of fitty financial district mm-hmm. and for the viewers that don't live here, closer to the water. And I even saw the other day when I was going for a run, run the barricades they've put by the water, yeah. just recently actually. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone and uh, Paris Cafe, it's down in the financial district finally closed and I saw a notice on the window and the guy's like, look, he's like, I've been through 9-11. He's like, I've been through the GFC right. and he goes, and Hurricane Sandy put three feet of water in my venue, I had a picture of it. And he had, I, I remember a floating table in the dining room. And then he's like, this COVID thing's just one too many things. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of interesting because we are on the fourth crisis, real hardcore yeah. crisis in between all the blizzards and you know electrical you know all kinds of terrorist plots you know car bomb you know that kind of stuff now winding forward with covid very different circumstances Mm -hmm. but you're feeling now and post this what are you feeling now about the city uh you know i i do agree with you obviously I've, i've been through all those things and there has been tremendous resiliency um uh i'm hoping that this isn't structurally different Mm -hmm. um uh because no one in the you know the world has changed so much in terms of connectivity that even after the great the financial crisis or sandy or any of those other things there was no optionality to work from home right you know um so the great question mark for me and i and i'm you know i'm reading probably the same stuff you're reading and watching um the great question mark is fox how, news is that what you're doing <laughs> <laughs> just is, checking is how much how much emphasis people put on collegiality of being in the workplace right um, and the interchange of ideas that happen spontaneously rather over a zoom call sure um, so we you know I know some of the banks are calling their people back um, like we have a place called the Lambs Club that's kind of closed indefinitely at the moment because yep. 
we rely on two kinds of clients, right? We, during the day, it's heavy, heavy business. We're on 44th and time. And yeah, uh, I love the Lambs Club. For your, for your audience, just so they know. So we're heart of the Times Square area, but sort of the nicest restaurant there with yeah. Jeffrey Zakarian, who's a sort of world-famous chef. And, you know, we have two problems, because in the daytime, our audience is all lawyers, bankers, Viacom, et cetera. Sure. They're all out of their offices now. I think occupancy in Times Square is under 10%. Yeah, well. Not tenancy. I mean, they're 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 just not coming to the office. Yeah, and then at night, our entire audience is pre-theater, right? And Broadway is talking about next summer, basically. I mean, yeah. they're talking March and April. Yeah. But I think if you, if you really talk to someone, they'll tell you we're hoping for June. But don't you think it's kind of nuts? Like I have to I have to keep asking myself this question so I can get on a plane, mm-hmm. and I can breathe recycled air and sit next to you, mm-hmm. but I can't sit six feet away from you in my dining room. You know, I, what's the logic? I, you know, I don't know the logic. I, 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 I'm hesitant to question Cuomo because yep. um, I have to applaud the guy for what he did. Yep. I mean, if you look at the rest of the country and you look at us, I feel like New York's the safest place to be in America yep. right now. It's just odd, oddly enough. Yep. Um, not, not when it started. Everybody was like, oh, you guys suck. You know, right. We're not coming there. And now he was like, we might come to New York. Well, you know, there's he was masterful in his leadership, I think. And people here are cognizant and they pay attention. Sure. Um, that's why I was kind of surprised about California. When I heard L.A. was suffering as badly, I feel like L.A. has a lot of, you know, they have a Democratic governor, Democratic uh, sure. mayor, bright populace, you know. Yep. Um, uh, so, you know, I, 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 I agree with you. I think we have to try the experiment. Of, I know we're trying 25 percent very shortly and we'll then try 50 percent. But I've also read all these articles about is is the virus um, changing, you know, yep. is it uh, mutating, mutating mm-hmm. to the so where masks may not be effective. And mm-hmm. so I think, you know, they're learning as they go. And the virus is, you know, we have to remember it's probably seven, eight months old that it was right. identified. And well, I you and I got knows. venues that are shut, right? Like we've got both and we've three, got- Three of mine are right. closed. And I've got a big, you know, seven and a half thousand square foot bar, club, right. you know, kind of restaurant. And, you know, we all know the pain and we're all feeling it. It's, it's really interesting. If we were to just skip over restaurants for one second, mm-hmm. you are from a world where I'm really fascinated by the club world. Mm-hmm. There are some big people out there now, like the towels. Right. What are they going to do? Yeah, no, I really, I, I look, I've been thinking about that business for a long time for different reasons because mm-hmm. I think festivals, or they're not all festivals. I think, I think Tinder, I think festivals, I think the geographic spread of New York to Brooklyn mm-hmm. and Queens have all had big impact on the vitality of New York nightlife to begin with. Sure. Uh, but now add this in and that it's the lowest priority on someone's, you know, on the governor or the mayor's, you know, nightclubs have always gotten short shrift. No one really, that was sort of the whole. Because there's an illusion that you're all basically billionaires and you own a club because you're bored right. and you're right. not supposed to make any money. Right. And meanwhile, I'm in the subway. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anybody, anybody, college tuition yeah. And anybody that's a restaurateur that drives a Ferrari isn't a restaurateur. Right. <laughs> there's something else. They so Gordon right. Ramsay's smart enough to make money on television. On television that's right. why he has a Ferrari. So, you know, um, you're right. I don't know. I mean, I, I would. I would hate to be in a position where, like I, you know, whether it's Richie Akiva with Up and Down and and sure. One Oak or, or the Tau, you know, Mark and Jason and and Noah, you know, they've done phenomenal work over the years, and I don't know when they're going to be able to fill their venues back up. And it's actually, in a weird way, we've benefited from it a little bit. And I'm only the consultant, but the three venues we have in the Venetian um, are actually doing well because their capacity, their normal capacity, is only about 200. Right. So. 
the big clubs are having a very hard time convincing people to come into them and sure. because it's boring. Like you, a room set for 5,000, yeah. you know, with a couple hundred people. It's just and it you looks, and me looks, dancing yeah, on the dance floor. Yeah, it looks awful. Like, yeah. But our smaller venues that have right. happen to have sound systems of that level but were built for conversation, Interesting. have they've pivoted a little bit. It would. I'm really glad the guy who's there locally running it um, saw it. He's like, look, there's 28, 29-year-olds who are dying to go out. They're not going to those big clubs at the win. But they'll come, get their dance on, and have a couple of drinks at the Dorsey or Electra, and it's kind of working. Um, so this is so in a way, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a reshaping, like all these crises do a spring clean, right? Yeah. And I was talking to Josh, the Neuhaus CEO, the other day, mm-hmm. and he kind of kind of described what it a as, nice guy he is. Yeah, yeah. He he sort of he misspoke and he said like a brush fire. He goes, no, I mean, and I go, you mean spring clean because there's so many fires in California, mm-hmm. but now like every crisis does a spring clean, it's such a horrible way to see it because mm-hmm. I do see it that way because spring clean means everybody always assumes, well, the people that weren't doing well, they go. That's but, bullshit. Uh, right. It's and really, so, what was, their landlord, was their landlord reasonable or was their right. landlord unreasonable? Well, it, and then there's an argument for landlords. I got right. a fairly reasonable landlord, but I'm a landlord in, right. in Scottsdale. I've got a small restaurant in Batik Hotel mm-hmm. and we just said to our guy, you know, like, of course you're not going to pay rent while you're right. shut. Right. But, and so there's an assumption that all landlords are wealthy to do people, but a lot of them have mortgages. Well, what I was going to say is really what, and I just don't know if it's constitutional, but I think really the solution was, and it hasn't happened, but they've been great about no evictions and sure. personal. Ga- but really, I think it should have been okay if you, ch- you know, for also for gyms yep. and boutique fitness places. Yeah, I think they should have said, okay, you're not going to have to pay rent until let's call it May of 2021, but also your landlord can't foreclose on you. Sure, but also the bank or their lender, whomever that may be, can't, can't, that. can't foreclose on them. Yeah. Um, that would have been, I think, the solution because I think you're right. Like a lot of landlords, they're not bad guys. They have a mortgage out on their property. They can't go below a certain rent. But, um, you know, I would, I mean, almost worse than our business would be to have a hot yoga studio or of course. A, a boxing gym. But a, a hot yoga studio doesn't go three and a half million dollars to put money in the ground, right? right? And True. then you have this assets. You know, when you fit a restaurant out or a bar, mm-hmm. like for anybody that's young, that, that hasn't done that yet. I mean, you know, you never get that money back ever, ever, yeah, ever. Right? right. So, and, and there's few of us that like, I'm not private equity driven. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, myself and my business partner. And I know if you've got private equity right now, there's no one sitting around a board table allowing you to open or scale mm-hmm. or expand. Mm-hmm. Or, you right. Know, so, so in reshaping this industry, we're doing crystal ball shit right now. Okay. So you, um, but you've got the experience of, um, you know, 20, you know, young mm-hmm. people, what do you think's going to happen? Do you think we're going to go smaller? Because Josh actually believe with Neuhaus, it's a unique brand, a mm-hmm. community brand. Is things going to go more membership based, where there's a knowledge that things are safer in that mm-hmm. venue? Because you just mentioned that with Las Vegas, do you mm-hmm. think the Las Vegas people are going to look and go, "Hey, no more five thousand clubs. It's going to go down to 300, 400 and bring back intimacy." Uh, you know, I think for more reasons than one. I mean, I think part of you know those clubs were driven by these enormous bottle prices which paid for enormous dj fees of you know three four hundred thousand dollars sure you know, for, for a night um i just don't know if that economy is going to come back anytime soon uh although a lot of that was driven by silicon valley and they're doing great through the crisis of course so that's a little bit geographical um i i i, I actually think there's a possibility that new york nightlife may return to what it was like when I first started going out in the 80s and early 90s where it wasn't so driven by 
what guy is a managing director at what bank and can buy a table of 20. It sounds like a whole lot of fucking fun. It would be. If it right? went back to the artists and the, you know, the cool, the kids who were coming It'd up with fashion. It would be creative design, right. music, That's fashion. why everyone got into it, right? Yeah. And then, you know, um, Steve Lewis, who used to be an operator with Peter Gation, and, and then he became a designer and he had a, a blog. Um, and he wrote a story about 15 years ago, and I thought he was wrong when I read it, but now the more I think about it, he said the new VIP is any douchebag with a black card. And, and was, a hoodie. Yeah, and I was kind of like, you know, at the time I thought he was overreacting, but over time, it really, be, you know, I would go to some of these places that were getting so much press, and sure, I'd be sure. like, just a bunch of Wall Street guys and the same board, you know, models like staring at their phone all night and not engaging with anybody. Maybe because it's a little easier for them to promote themselves in those days. It was really word of mouth. You went on Instagram. Right. There was no Facebook. Well, the, yeah, that was the, you know, I, I honestly believe had Rex existed in the Instagram world, it would have, you know, we had, it was such a high concentration of, of sort of a celebrity quotient. Um, and really what put us on the map in a weird way was, well, two things. We had a party for the end of... I do think, you know, people argue who started this, who started. Yeah, yeah, sure. I do think we had the first end of Fashion Week party in New York. It was hosted by Cindy Crawford, Naomi, Christie. It was like a bird. Couple of lightweights. Yeah, it was like blue jeans and barbecue. The whole idea was, the whole idea was like, okay, Fashion Week's over. Sure. Just put on your jeans and come have a burger. Yeah. And um, so, you know, the, those kind of moments. But then uh, a, a famous photographer named Sante Dorazio married Amazing. a... Uh, Married a gal named Cara Young, who was a big model mm -hmm. also. And they got married somewhere privately, but the party was at Rex. Mm -hmm. And um, all those girls came again. And then at the time, Axl Rose was living with Stephanie Seymour. dating, And that got us national press. But yep. that was when there was only like three newspapers that mattered. Sure, sure. Imagine today. It would yeah, have yeah. gone every extra. Yeah, yeah. Page that, six is page six, page right, seven, page right. 7,000. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's just, it was funny. So it was all word of mouth. And that was kind of cool and very organic about it, you know. People just would hear in the city, like, what is going on in so this let, place? So let me give you an imaginary play out. So let's say post-COVID, things go back to what they were mm -hmm. somewhat. Mm -hmm. I gave you a ton of cash. I gave you 10 million <laughs> bucks. And I said, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to pay me back. You don't have to do anything. I'm a billionaire idiot. Um, do you want to open a club in New York? Would you do it? Uh, look, it would be so great, especially listening to legendary Damon, who's been paying tribute to all the old pioneer DJs and stuff like sure. that, to bring back a club that you could have Clark Kent and D-Nice and, and, uh, and Stretch and Bobito and some of these guys, let them spin and be able to afford them. And, you know, that was, I, it's all sort of growing, you know, I'm so happy for them. But these sure. are guys who used to play for five, 600 bucks a night. Right. Then they go on tour with Diddy and... Or, or D yeah, Nice yeah. becomes an international celebrity with what he's yeah. done on Instagram. Yeah. And who can who could possibly? No, I, rem I remember. I remember with places people like Daft Punk, they were playing for you know maybe fifty thousand bucks, and then all of a sudden they're two million bucks if they return your email. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then you know when I got the tour of, um, uh, gosh, which club is it in in Vegas in the MGM Grand? I got the, uh, I, when I, when they first were getting ready to Hakkasan. Yep. And uh, someone walked me through and was explaining to me the economics of how you have to run a business to pay a DJ four hundred grand. It was just mind blowing, right? mind boggling to me. Do you think? Um, do you, if you so that was a that was a maybe. Um, so if there's a billionaire idiot, out if there's there, a billionaire idiot, come idiot, on, man, let's do it together. Yeah. But would you? Do you think you could take people's phones away at the door, like instead of a gun check, you know, a phone you check? You know, Damien tried that at at, at all. Um, but that, but that's an era when they were getting excited about it. Is there going to be a point where there's enough people? Like I always joke, 
when somebody says, what would make you happy? And I'll be just rich enough to have, and they go, what, a boat? And I'm like, fuck no. The dude with my phone two blocks away and only comes to me if something's, if something's falling really down important. instead incredible. of me carrying it and going, uh, you know, like, would, would you people do that? Would you think I they love, would consider You know what it? I like to, you know, I said this to someone um, and they, uh, they thought I said no homo which yep. was a, an odd moment, but no, I, what I said was no FOMO. Yep. Um, what I, I said to someone who was from California, was visiting me, and we went to check out Jimmy, and they said, what, what do you think the success is? Because it, it was really fun that night. Sure. And they said, what do you think? And I said, there's no FOMO here. And and first they were like, what, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, no, I said, no FOMO. And I said, for whatever reason, this is one of those places where we haven't tried to shoot for that A+. Plus. We're not sure. trying to attract, you know, uh, Jamie Foxx that night when he's in town, you know, yep. great if he comes, but, um, you know, people just come there and they kind of put their phone down. You don't see a lot of that glow in the yep. face. They're just having a great time. They're happy to be with the people they are with. They're not wondering what they're missing out on. Yep. And I think that, it, you know, but I, as I said, Damien tried that at, at all. And even for me, or even for you, like you said, your solution is the best solution I've heard. But I said to Damien when he wanted me to check my phone at all, I'm like, Dame, like, what am I going to do? Like, I got four places open right now. Like of course. If someone texts me and says, "Yeah, of course," and that, but that's the world we've built built right, in. But right. those days beforehand, there would yeah, be some somehow. weird phone around the corner, and right. they'd be like the bat phones. Ring. Like I went into there's a place called Bistecca in Sydney. Uh, I go back often, and uh, it was an underground sort of steakhouse, you know, mm -hmm. da da da. And I went there recently when they opened, and they have a volunteer your phone in a locked drawer with the receptionist. And a beautiful kind of like right. old fashioned draw. And I was like, all right, idiots, everybody hand their phone over. Fantastic. The faces were like, and I'm like, nobody on this table is curing cancer. Okay. Nobody's a brain right, surgeon right. on call. Right. You're all fucking idiot restaurateurs. Let's, right. let's go do this. Everybody put their phone in. And one of my friends later said, so what did you guys do? And I go, we had a conversation <laughs> and nobody was interrupted. Right. And it was really beautiful and polarizing at the to same time. To be honest, time. I'm. I'm enjoying sitting here and having put my phone in my bag for an hour. I'm like, whatever. Right. And then, yeah. and so all of a sudden, everybody's coming back to the idea of engaging. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had this argument with somebody recently that had six months ago opened a restaurant and had iPads for their wine list and menus. And they, I went to their friends and families overseas and I, they said, great. I said, everything was great except those fucking menus. And they said, why? And I said, look, we're on these all day. Right. I don't want to go out and be on it. Next, you're going to give me a Mac. You know, right, like right, right. the social experience and fabric of like whether it's clubs or if it's restaurants mm -hmm. is touch, feel, in, engagement. Mm -hmm. That's why we go out, right? Right, right. Sure. So do you think um, after this, the, you know, I mean, New York City is now over a thousand permanent closed restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, you've got more restaurants in, than bars, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a, you're very food driven. The mm -hmm. margins are slim. You know, are you in the midst of negotiating with everyone? Yeah, we're trying. Um, well, luckily, a few of them are management agreements in mm -hmm. hotels. So we're not open, but we're also not paying any rent. We're just waiting till they deem to open, reopen the hotels. Um, we successfully, we're building a restaurant right now that was supposed to be open now. It'll probably open in November. Very trying to do, and you as someone from, from overseas may appreciate even more than New Yorkers. I'm very friendly with a, a guy, Indian-American guy, who was born in Texas, and his dream has always been to sort of do the Indochine or the Nobu of Indian food. Is he our $10 million guy? Or? No, I wish. <laughs> but we just are do, we're doing a place on 20th <laughs> Street next to, next to Gramercy Tavern. Right. Um, Great location. Oh, it's an insane location. And we're moving forward with it because after three months, 
the landlord finally came around because the first at first they're like, no, 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 we're not giving any yeah, rent concession. Yeah. And, and we're like, well, like, we'll just give you rent free. And we were like, well, then we're not building it. And we were lucky that you know we were all you know there's a degree of pregnancy that you know so like had we been 50 percent built, they would have held all that. But we hadn't really started the construction, and we said, look, if we walk away from your 4,000 square foot unbuilt space. You're toast. Who's taking it? Yeah, like, well, there's that, a lot more of there's a lot more of us and a lot sorry a lot more of them and a lot less of us. Right, and, and I said sign. I said anyone anyone who's looking actually first of all I, I told them I said I don't know anyone looking for a new restaurant space, right. but if they are, they're going to go find a place that was finished three months ago right. and went out the, of business. They're not taking your blank slate. So here. you're gonna you were gonna do you had a famous Indian chef as well lined up. Uh, we do. His name is Hari. Yep. And we're doing uh, we're Hari Nayak and we're doing it with with. Uh, um, my friend Manish, who's fantastic and yep. kind of knows all of New York, and uh, we're also and we're working on it right now. We'll see where it goes, but with the same group, we're supposed to bring back Temple Bar, which is a legendary bar down on Lafayette, with the guys from Attaboy, and that landlord is, has yet to see the light, and yep. we're kind of like, dude, you don't really think that wake the fuck up, like who's coming here? I mean, like l l listen to you now, right? So in in essence, I don't see you over social media a lot, right? You could be quiet and in the shadows and going, oh well, I'm kind of going to live my days out mm -hmm. just doing. But you're still gunning for stuff. You're still got that that spice and ambition. Yeah. Look how much stuff's going on pre this, and you're not talking about packing up, you know, your bat and your ball and going home. Oh no, I mean, look, I, in a weird way, and it's a it's a it's actually I think it's a very sad thing, and I don't know where it's going to net out. I do think that unfortunately a lot of places are not going to come back sure and i oddly we had raised the money for these deals uh or made the for the ones that are management agreements had all that had all been completed pre-pandemic right so we're in a unique position where we have the funds sitting in a bank yep and as long as the landlords recognize that eight or nine or ten percent rent is really the way to go and if least, they don't, if they don't recognize that now, when they're never going to recognize right. it. So, and and yeah. what I didn't know it when, until we did some research was that actually came out of the depression. Sure, that was a development that to keep people alive in their businesses, uh, and it just makes complete sense. And look, we're happy if someone takes a ride with us and gives us nine percent rent or something, and then they, we end up paying more rent than we would have under the agreement. Sure. Fantastic. So you you look great for your age for one ah, of the reasons. Thank you. you look great for your age for one of the reasons, but uh, you, you're not a big drinker. Mm -mm. You really, you look fit. You don't, I'm guessing you're not doing heaps of crack or anything like that. Not this month. Not, <laughs> we've got one, right? there's not any more. I, 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 do you still love Gray's papaya? Oh my God, how do you even know that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I try to avoid you it. You go for a run, costs. sneak one in and get home and go, no, honey, I just don't want to eat as much. I live four blocks from it. So at least once a month, like right. I'll jump out of the subway and I'll be like, I just, one of those dogs looks really good. Fuck but, yeah. But that was, you know, when I was in law school living on 72nd Street in, in law school up at Columbia, you know, you don't really have a lot of money when you're a student. Right. As, so right. for a dollar fifty, that was dinner. It was a pretty good deal. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, and the other thing that I noticed about you that came up over and over again, everybody kept asking you in interviews, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And you just kept saying the same thing. I just want to be a really, really good father. Yeah. That, over and over again. Yeah. I, I read that like maybe seven or eight times. Well, I'm glad I said it. I mean... It was very you know, sincere. I had a great dad and mom, yep. and my mom is still around. My dad passed away. And, uh, yeah, having Tyler was literally the blessing of my life. And, you know, he happened to be born around the same time as Lotus. And I was, I always tried to keep my, you know, I, I like to say kind of like I'm in it but not of it. Yep. You know, and so, 
my I do live on the Upper West Side, and it's funny, you know. I know. I can't, I've got to go up there and to, to see you because you won't come down the other side. Well, it's like, a weird. You treat us like we're in <laughs> Western North Berlin, you know. It's so well. I'm not soon. No, because I'll, if I if the Temple Bar opens, I'll be in near you a lot. But um, you know, when I get, it's funny because when we had three places at one point in the Meatpacking District, you know, walking around there was good for my ego but not so good for you know yes. you had no life yeah, of course everyone of course. wanted to, when can i come to lewis when can i come yeah, to yeah. so i was always very happy to go to the upper west side where i was best known at at all yeah oh there's ty's dad you know yeah yeah, yeah i was that's very nice very happy to be known as oh that's tyler's dad i did that i remember when uh my restaurants in bondi beach uh with my i co-founded with my partners blew up and i remember at the peak i was pretty exhausted and done with that mm -hmm. whole life and the celebrities and I remember I was at the beach in a wetsuit with my board and a guy walks up and he's some you know rich dude with two young girls and he's like hey great to see you listen I couldn't get a table for Thursday you reckon you can get me a table for five at 4.45 and I'm like dude, dude I'm in my I'm fucking my surfing <laughs> like what do you want to write it in the sand I just looked at him and I went sure oh, and right. I and I you know I sat there and I was like I don't have my phone or anything look amazing to have you we need to get you Baker and I've got a couple other ideas on a round table. We'll probably have to get Baker on Zoom. That'd be fun as hell. And uh, find out some more stories. Dude, Mark about has, you know, like forty-seven lives. I mean, he would come to meetings and be like, "Yeah, I just crashed my motorcycle but again, <laughs> again, but I'm okay." Yeah, I'm okay, and I'm here. Yeah. Well, he was very honest about the fact that you basically did all the really, you know, noble, you know, moral compass stuff, and he basically just, you know. Hey, but you know what? At the end of the day, both Mark and Jeffrey, they were a little bit crazy, of course. But they're good souls. And, yeah. you know, Will and I, we didn't want to, you know, life's short. You know what I mean? And, like, we didn't want to work with people that we didn't like. And I haven't got one person that said anything negative about you at all. Uh, I tried sorry. to find them. <laughs> but thanks for coming on the show. Of You've course, been an absolute been fantastic. pleasure. My, my pleasure. Awesome. So much fun. Take care. That's it for this week, peeps. If you're enjoying the show, just go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever podcast player you listen to, and ideally give us five-star rating, if we deserve it, of course. It will help other people like you discover us. If you want to find out more on what we get up to, or to suggest someone we should interview, let us know. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at The Raw Hospitality Show. The show is a Fabrica Collective production produced by Mark Fellows and Samantha Webb, music by Jindal.